Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine what it must have been like to have dated one of the four Beatles who incidentally wrote and performed the song Imagine in 1971, as well as countless Beatles hits in the 1960s. Buckle on up, as no doubt you know who this larger-than-life Beatle was, and you are about to hear from his infamous girlfriend. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, and get ready to be inspired, motivated, and achieve massive success. And now, your host, the Mayor of Motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on The Motivation Show today is a jewelry designer, a photographer. She's a former record executive, and she's also pretty well known for having been the girlfriend of a Beatle. Yes, John Lennon's girlfriend. Welcome to The Motivation Show, May Pang. Thank you so much, Eli. It's a good morning because <laughs> I'm going to be on here with you. Well, I'm pretty excited about talking to you because who, who isn't a John Lennon fan? And I know you've got some great history there, but you've done some really interesting things yourself. And I also know that you're uh, involved with having a photography exhibit that's going to be around the country. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm excited. This is all part of to promote also to help with my film that the documentary that's uh, coming out. But it's all the photos I took of John back in the day. And there's a lot that a lot of people have never seen. And I think, of course, it's up there so you can purchase it now. And, and it was something I held for a long time. And it was under my bed for many years, you know, in the, in the little storage area. And then finally, I bring it out. And I said, Oh, what's this? <laughs> there they are. It's all these photos. So this this photography gold, as I would call it, <laughs> is just sitting under the bed, right? And you're just like, yeah, I mean, oh, what is this treasure trove I have here of this uh, little unknown guy by the name of John Lennon? <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't think about that. You know, I just sort of threw all my stuff in, and then finally someone said, "Oh my God, what is this doing here?" I said, "I don't know. It's just stuff I've had accumulated over the years." And there's all these photos. And now I bring it out. It was in a book. And now it's for everybody to see. Well, that's terrific. Well, you know, John was comfortable just having you take these uh, pictures. He just was very natural when, when he uh, when you were taking yeah, them. They, all these pictures are not a quote posed and as posed. You know, like in for for uh, a journals not especially when he's eating i have a series there where it's what i call soups on where he's eating his favorite soup which is hot and sour soup and uh and he looks at me and his and you know his nose is going you know and he's looking at me he goes really you want this going on you know and i just i just kept taking uh, photos he didn't care he liked the way he looked through my eyes. And that was the whole thing. He didn't like other people's photography. I mean, it was, he liked them, but he really didn't, he didn't care for them because he said, it made me look fat. Oh, I look like this, you know? So when he started to see some of my photos, I said, he goes, let me see them. And when he saw them, he says, I really like these. And so he let me have carte blanche, whatever I want. So he wasn't too self-conscious then about having this photo taken. You know, I know some celebrities may, you know, want to only take a, a photo if the uh, they look a certain kind of way and they're really, really picky about it. And they got to go to the hairdresser and, and primp up, you know, so he was a little more casual, huh? He was a little more casual. And then there's a photo in there 
uh, photograph that I took and it was really, we were on, on a, a short weekend holiday and we were up in Ellenville, which is near Woodstock. And we were with friends who loaned us the, the house. We were taking a walk in the woods. And as we're walking, I just thought, oh, nature, this is gorgeous. And the colors were turning. It was the fall. And I sort of dropped back. And as I dropped back, I called out to him and he turned. And just at that moment, I snapped the photo. Mind you, I only snapped one. Back in the day, it's not like it is now where you go, oh, I don't like this. Delete, delete, and uh, we'll do, do another. I had no idea what I took until it got developed. So how did you feel when you knew that John Lennon was going to go back to Yoko Ono, to the Dakota building? How did you feel at that moment after having that relationship? Well, here's the thing. Didn't know. It wasn't planned. It wasn't on the docket, as it were. This was just because the last words he said to me were, okay, when I get home, I'm gonna, we're going to go out to dinner wherever you want, and then we're going to make plans to go see Paul and Linda down in New Orleans. And they were just at our house to just have a visit and um, just to hang out. And they said to us, oh, we're going to be down in New Orleans to, to do a new album. And it uh, subsequently was called uh, Venus and Mars. And John said, oh, okay, great. And then John said, yeah, we should go. And that's that really was the last thing. And we were in the middle of, of buying a home. We had uh, thought about it. We looked at this house that we want out in Montauk. So there was a whole lot of things to say that I knew he was going back. No, I don't think he knew he was going back either. So there. Well, I'm a huge Beatles fan. And there are some people who try to convince me as a younger generation that uh, this K-pop is more popular than the Beatles ever were. I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. And I, I am absolutely astounded at the work that John Lennon did. Of course, the, the other Beatles as well. Um, it's hard to believe in like seven years they put out the kind of uh, legacy and the, the the scope of music that they did is just absolutely extraordinary. I mean, there there are uh, bands out there for 40, 50 years that can't match, you know, what the Beatles did in even one year. Uh, so that that's pretty extraordinary. Now, of course, John had... Uh, reputation in many different ways. You know, uh, some people might have thought he was a, a little bit surly. Uh, was he? You know, what was he like? You know, he was really very easygoing. It depends on, I guess, the company you keep. We had a very easy life uh, in that sense of that anybody who came to the house. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. We just moved into this apartment in the city and the doorbell rings. And, you know, downstairs, the doorman's uh, ringing. I'm going, who could it be? We just got here. Who? We didn't even tell anybody what address. <laughs> I mean, we barely knew our own address. So I'm going, this is interesting. So he, he answers the call and then he, he goes, oh, my God. And I said, what? Who is it? And he goes, it's Paul and Linda. And I'm standing going. Paul and Linda, how did they find out where we lived already? And then all of a sudden, he was like, what do you think? I said, send them up. They're your friends. He goes, are you okay with it? I said, there's nothing to be okay about. And I said, just go right ahead. Just do it. Was that the Upper East Side of Manhattan? It was not the Upper East Side. It was actually like in the 50s, 52nd Street on the East ah. Side. And we faced the river, which John loved. There was... Um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, you could see the, no, we were on the east side, the East oh. River. Oh, the East uh, River. Yes. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yes. So it was great. So he'd get to see the boats go by. He was, you know, that was home for him, you know, Liverpool with the Mersey and all that, you know, so he was, he loved it out there. And summertime, he just sat out there all the time. He just loved seeing the lights and everything that was going on. So how did it all begin? How did you actually get to meet John Lennon? 
Well, to meet John Lennon was uh, interesting. I met both John and Yoko at, um, I worked at, uh, at Alan Klein's office at, that handled all of the Apple records. So that was their new client. So I was part of the whole thing. And I didn't have a job. I went up to the office and I said, is there a job opening? They said, no. And then all of a sudden, you know, these people came out and, and this woman said, she's looking for a job. And the guy goes, come back after lunch. And I went in there and I just had an interview. And and there I, and he goes, can you work next week? I said, sure. I was in the business. <laughs> so John, of course, uh, wrote Imagine, one of the greatest songs ever written, you know, and that really uh, resounds, I think, in any uh, decade or any era. Uh, what is your fondest memories of John? Oh, there's a lot of that. But I probably one of the biggest is probably when when we started to, to sort of uh, see each other. He called me into his office and he says, I got I got something to show you. And I said, oh. Oh, no. Okay. So I walked in and said, he goes, sit down right here. And I said, what's why? He goes, just sit down. Don't say anything. He picked up his guitar and he started to, he goes, I wrote this last night. And it was a verse to a song called Surprise, Surprise, Sweet Bird of Paradox. And that was written for me, which uh, I didn't even know what to say. I mean, let alone, you know, somebody's going to write a song for me and it's John Lennon. That was that was amazing for me. And then later on, when he did a song called Number Nine Dream, he wrote the song. And then one day he said, we're at the studio recording. And he said, listen, uh, uh, one of the, um, what was it? The assistants came running in. John needs you right now. And I'm going, okay, what does he want? And I go running in. I said, what, what is it? And then he says, out there. And he points to a microphone and my and headset in, out, out in the studio. And I'm going, what am I doing out there? And he goes, I need you to do something. So in the end, it's uh, he wanted me to softly whisper his name, and that's on the record of Number Nine Dream. Oh, uh, wow! Sing, yeah, we, yeah, and we sing background as well with two other people. So we were called the Forty Fourth Street Ferry when we were doing the background vocals. Yes, but that's my; those are my vocals. My voice sing, John. Wow! So you, uh, of course, were uh, John Lennon's uh, former girlfriend, and uh, he's pretty famous, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and so. that kind of gives you a little bit of fame. Uh, you're a very down-to-earth person. You know, I talk to a lot of uh, famous people, but they're not quite as as charming and as down-to-earth as you are. And I'm not just saying that to Apple polish you, but before we even got on the air here, you know, you're pretty easy to talk to. Tell me about your philosophy of life and why you're, you're such an easy person to get along with here. First off, I like people. I always, you know, that it's everybody. Everybody has their own opinions. Everybody has their own way of life. But what it is, is that I love people and I wanted to know them. Um, I was, I was a, a loner in school and it's taken me years to come out of my own shell. And I discovered how many people that we have a lot of things in common, or I learned a lot from other people and I enjoy talking to them and getting to know them. And, and I, it's true. I mean, a lot of my friends all know me. They go, oh, just tell me. And I like to remember things of stupid things, you know, and, and I just remember and they'll go, oh, ask me. She knows it all. And I'm much more open. And I and I think everybody is uh, is different. And I just want to know. I like when I go to I like to go to Europe and I like to travel and I like to see what goes on in their lives, you know, and and it's so different from what we have in New York City. Which, you know, you go to Italy or France. I mean, I enjoy that you can 
uh, fly almost anywhere in Europe within a couple of hours. Here, it would take us a long time to get anywhere. But I, I like the idea of learning their history as well. How did you handle that unfortunate, fateful day of December of 1980? Oof, that was tough. Handling it was... I don't know if I could, I, I would even say I've handled it even to this day. It's just been so long. It's, you know, that it's happened. But um, I remember when I heard it on the radio, when it was still radio, I ran home. I was at a friend's house on the West side. And I remember getting into the taxi and said, just don't go by 72nd street, please. And just keep going. And he hadn't heard yet, you know, that John had been shot. I came home and the phone was ringing and, uh, and I picked it up. And it was um, Joan, who was at that time Ringo's executive secretary. And she's going, give me the give me the phone number of the hospital. And I said, it's too late. He's gone. And I just remember her screaming at me going, what's wrong with your bloody country? I've got to go now. I got to tell everybody. So that was the that. And then I remember taking a walk a couple of days later. I was always in um, just sort of hiding. I was walking with friends so they couldn't see that who I was. And I just wanted to just walk in and see all the people that were showing the love for, for John and remembrance. And you could see people just sobbing everywhere. I never heard the city be that quiet ever. Yeah. I was there actually the next day at the vigil. Uh, I yeah. was running the near 1980 New York city marathon training very hard for that. Uh, and, uh, and I heard the news and uh, and I just went there across from the Dakota uh, and it was a mob scene and everybody was, yeah, of course, singing all the songs. And uh, it, yeah, it was a, it was a tough day, certainly for all. Uh, I mean, his work will, uh, will live forever. And, and I, I listen to it still all the time. Uh, so tell us about this exciting documentary and tell us what it's Ooh. the name of the documentary. <laughs> how did it uh, happen? And where can people uh, the documentary, hear you know, it and see it this right. This year is 50 years since my whole relationship with John started. This is 50 years. I can't even believe that as I'm saying 2023, because that's when we're, we're doing it right now. We're yeah. April 2023 for perspective yep. for those that will be hearing this in, in 10 years from now. <laughs> So and then, so it's kind of a, an interesting thing, but my my, my movie um, it's called uh, a love a lost weekend a love story. Um, be, you know our time period's been known as the lost weekend. Everybody thought, oh, John is drunk. It's this, and everybody started telling me about my life, and I got a little tired of, of it. I mean, I spent all these years where people are saying, oh, you keep saying it, but I know everything about you, but they don't. So a, a few years, about six years ago, this started about six years ago, uh, six years ago, Eve Branstein, who was one of the uh, co-producers and directors, said, I was talking to her and she's a good old uh, friend of mine. And we were saying, I said, what are you doing now? And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm directing, I'm doing this, and I'm doing documentaries. And I just swung around and I looked at her and I said, that's what I want to do. Just like that. I had no idea why. I, had no, you know, I didn't know what she was doing. And she goes, are you sure? I said, yeah, it's time. I could feel it in my in my bones that this is the time. And then she got two other people on board, which was uh, uh, Richard Kaufman and Stuart Samuels, who had just come off of doing the movie, uh, the Ron Howard movie, the, the Beatles, The Touring Years. So he was the archivist in the group. And so, and uh, Richard is the cinematographer and understanding the filming of everything. So we've spent all this time just making this movie and putting it together and they did a fabulous job. And it's to tell the story of that time period. I can't tell you how many fans and people I've known, they say it's about time. And some of them who have seen it and were lucky enough to see it 
have said, oh, oh my God, I didn't know. I thought I knew everything about you. I don't know anything. I, it's nothing what I thought. I said, I know. And that's the reason. Oh, without giving us the plot, without giving that away, can you tell us what you think we'll take away from the film after we see it? I think you'll find a lot of interesting things that that happen between John and myself, and that I was just not a weekend because a lot of I've seen a lot of fans have written. Said, Why is she writing? She was only with him for a weekend. I think they'll be surprised. Mm, interesting. So, do you have a relationship now with Paul and Ringo? Um. Not really. I haven't seen him in a while. I think the last time I saw Paul was at his concert um, at the Barclays Center back, about six six years ago, seven years ago. I just can't remember. It's about that time. That was the last time I saw him. I, Ringo, I, I think I, I saw him briefly for a split second to say hello in, in London. And we were all backstage to uh, wish Jerry Lee Lewis a uh, happy 85th. Mm. There's a lot of people, so it wasn't like a place to start talking or anything. So it was just one of those. As another great one, Jerry Lee Lewis, I think. Exactly. Oh, boy, could he play the piano? <laughs> you think? Oh, John and I went to see him, and it was like John got down on his hands and knees and kissed his boots. And I'm like staring at John going, oh, my goodness. So he goes, the king, you know, and he's just on his hands and knees. Well, for his era, you know, in the 50s to, to have done what he did, you know, he's way, way ahead of his time. Absolutely extraordinary performer. Yes. Uh, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so you do a lot of other stuff, you know, this photography, the, the jewelry designing, uh, you know, you're a record executive. My feng shui thing, I you mean, know, it's like. Feng shui. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you think about it. my girlfriend who lives down in Florida was wearing one of my pieces here and she said, I can't believe it. She goes, I've been stopped a couple of times now. People ask me, where can I get this? So, I mean, she actually, I think, took it off her neck and, and, and sold it to somebody because she said they wanted it so badly. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit more about the, uh, you know, the documentary and the film that you're doing, because I think a lot of people are obviously going to want to see it. I'm going to want to see it. Uh, and uh, after it's playing, it's, you know, uh, it's round here this year. I mean, uh, is there a way that people are going to be able to easily see this uh, after that, like on Netflix or something? I have no idea, and hopefully it will. Uh, I just don't know because that hasn't. We haven't gotten past the step of nah. let's show it in the theaters. So yeah. that's where we are at this moment. Uh, I hope so, and I would love for everybody to see it because I've been getting a lot of people from all over the you know globe, like you know, and in, in Brazil and and Peru and Japan and and Australia and of course England. So I hope so. It is a, an amazing little piece, and I credit my mother actually for a lot of this because she was the one who had all the the great you know she had the strength and she would say to me it's your turn you got to go out you can speak English go do it you know she was raised in China I was the first born in America on either side of my family so um so this is so this is a, a you know a good thing I pay homage to my mother for this you know it's it's her so being seated in a seat of fame that you are and kind of being connected to, of course, one of the world's most famous people, uh, he'll be uh, famous forever. Um, and I'm sure you've got uh, uh, your people who are very supportive of you. And, and I'm sure you've got, just like anybody else, people who will uh, talk about some controversial things. How do you handle a controversy? You know, I'm. you just either, if it's too controversial, you just don't, you, you know, what else can you say? There's not really much. But if it is, 
it's something you just have to be honest. Everything I've ever said, I think um, a lot of the fans have, have known I've not changed my story. Mm. I've had people actually, you know, a lot of the Beatle podcasters have said that to me just recently. They said, I interviewed you back at 20 years ago. You said it then. You're saying the same thing now. It's great because it hasn't changed. And I haven't changed my story. But now it's it's opening to a wider audience that I didn't, I couldn't reach from, you know, in 20 years. Look at all the changes we have. Social media, um, you know, this computer stuff. We keep forgetting. And cell phones, which sometimes I just want to throw out the window because I hear it all the time. <laughs> and I want some peace and quiet. It's all there. You know, uh, curious. Um... Do you have any regrets in life? Do you have any regrets on the John Lennon relationship and how that all started and panned out? No, I don't have any regrets. You can't have regrets. I mean, you know, we we go through life and certain things happen. You know, you can only say, what if? But I don't know what ifs. It's, you just have to take it. And I, I ran with what I had when there were times that I'm thinking, what, what could I do with, with John when he was going through this or he was upset? What can I say to him or, you know, and things like that. But it was, it was, it was okay. You know, I, it, I did what I did at the time. You can't have that many regrets. If you do, boy, you know, think about all these people that said, I have this regret and that regret. I finally, when it was my mother, um, she was, she had just turned 97 and she had uh, and said, you know, and I thought, oh, I'll wait till she's a hundred and I'll give her a party. And then I sat there for a minute and I said, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I think I'm going to do something right now. And I, and I organized a little gathering for her and it was so sweet because it was only a few months later that she did pass away. So you can't have a good, you got to think what you could do now. Don't go crazy, but you know, you got something, you got to do it. I love that philosophy. So I, I bet you if my next question was Googled, you'd probably find like 50 billion times it's been asked this question. And that is uh, how did the Beatles and why did the Beatles actually break up in 1970? You know, only from observation, because I wasn't really there when they were quote breaking up. I can only think of the observation of there are uh, four guys. Four thinkers, four different brains, and you know each one is different. They're not uh, they're not set. So everything everybody got tired, I think, and they needed to move on from that moment. They were together all the time. I think it's like how you see brothers arguing. They go, oh, I I'm ha I've had it. I want you know. They slam the door and they go off somewhere. And it's the same thing with them. I know that with John that he had had enough time. We talked about it. He thought about. Uh, that's why. He thought about writing. He asked me, he said, and this is after the the uh, the dissolution of the, the the of the agreement of the Beatles breaking up, you know, and they had signed. And, we, and you know, I took the only photograph while, they're, you know, John signing it as the last signature. And I remember we were at home and he goes, he's, you know, he's just strumming on the on the guitar and he turns around and he goes, I got to ask you something. And I say, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm waving his arm because I'm busy <laughs> doing something. And he goes. What do you think if I wrote with Paul again? Oh. And at that moment, I swung my head around. There's, you know, it's like the exorcist. You know, you swing your head around. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and I said, I said, it, he goes, I think it would be great. And he said, and then he goes, well, why? Then it went into the wide mode. And I said, listen, I said, you and Paul writing, nobody can beat that. You know, solo is good, but together you had magic. And that was really, and he, he just sort of sat there and he went, 
Yeah, we are, we are good, aren't we? Oh, my God. I lament and I think about how many other great songs the Beatles could have come out with if, if John and Paul continued to write. Oh, my God. And I knew that that was that was it was that close because he went for him to ask me and I'm going and I'm waving him off like, what do you want now? It's too early in the morning. But he wanted to know. And I just said, I think it would be a great idea. And Paul and Linda had just come over to our place and said, you know, we'll be down in New Orleans. Why don't you guys come down? I knew. I knew. I If I could get, if I could have gotten him there, it would have happened. Mm, so it was close, huh? It was close. Wow. That would have changed a lot of things. <laughs> you would have had a lot more songs to sing. Um, so, so would everybody else. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. So tell us uh, what's in store in the next five, 10 years for May Pang. Well, I'm just glad that both my kids are now in their thirties and I don't have to worry about them. Um, I think right now it's me being me and, and doing what I want. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I'm right now I'm doing the exhibition. That's in the, that's after the, after the movie, the exhibition, those are the two things at this moment. What else is in store? I, you know, we're hoping that the exhibition will take off and maybe something else. I would love to do, um, you know, I was saying to you earlier, I said, I really should have a show and start talking about all the different things that did happen back then or go around and and have. I made a pilot of of something a while ago and uh, people said, why didn't you do it? You know, continue. I paid my own money and it was a lot of money, but uh, it was all about rock and roll. And, and I remember showing it to all the executives and they thought I didn't know all this was happening. And these were record executives, but was one guy and he said he saw it and he goes, Eh, who cares about classic rock? And I thought to myself, you're missing the boat. Because now we've lost a lot of, you know, great people. Like we would talk Fats Domino, you know, Chuck Berry. And I would have had them. And I, I want to grab people from back then that influenced me, influenced John, influenced a lot of people. And even, you know, now we are the influencer to, to other people of a different generation. You talk about K-pop. My daughter went through that, so I understand it. <laughs> yes. My the K-pop, but they're wrong. They they were big. They don't write. They don't really write their own songs. They're they have to be like in groups. They're not even just uh you know the Beatles can write, the Beatles can play, and they changed the generation how they what they what they thought. We all went for it. How they dressed, we went for it. The Beatles boots, the the hair, everything. <laughs> And yeah. they changed the changed whole culture. generation. Yeah. That was the whole thing. And every country changed a generation. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, I can't wait again to see your photography, see your film. Tell us how people can stay in touch with you and uh, how do they follow you and your great work? Well, you know what? I'm on the social media. Uh, um, and I'm still learning. Believe me. Uh, it's not so easy. So I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram, LinkedIn. What else is there? Instagram, <laughs> uh, uh, Twitter. Uh, I even joined TikTok recently. So I'm still learning the, the ropes on that. But uh, they can also go to my website, um, maypang.com. I'll make it easy for everyone. And uh, they can find me. Most people in the end do find me. So I'm out. Sounds like you're pretty easy to find. You're not hiding anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> not hiding. Anything else you'd like to add to uh, and have our audience learn about you? Um, you know, I, I do hope that people 
go they can go buy t- uh, tickets right now for for the movie you know and it'll be around for a while the lost lennon i mean lost lennon sorry here i am the lost weekend tickets.com and it's you know and people can go and check out to see where it is playing well thank you so much you've been a delight and i really appreciate you coming on our show today may Oh, listen, I'm having a great time talking to you because you're in a good spot where I, I know a lot of friends down there. So it's great. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, email themotivationshow at gmail.com. That's the motivation show at gmail.com. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.